You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. So, we're not doing James again. Um, for, for those of you who are, who are following along, um, we've been in the series of James for... Um, four or five years now, but we just keep like stopping through. That's not true. Uh, but, but it feels that way, right? We'll, we'll do James for a little bit and then something will happen. We'll do James for a little bit. Something will happen. Uh, so just kind of, so you have kind of a, a reference point. Um, if you see me up here doing this, uh, we'll be in Mark. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about Mark. Um, Dan talks about James. We all kind of talk about something different. Um, but, uh, what a great, what a great church where, um, we're able to we're able to share share a vision uh, for what God's doing in different parts of Scripture. I love it. Um, so just so you know, that's that's what's going on, so that you're not going. Okay, James, what where he's in Mark? What is going on? Um, so that's that. Um, I don't know what to do with this microphone. I'm going to try and hold it now. Uh, I've always had like the little head thingy. Um, so, but I also talk with my hands, so you might something might happen like this where I don't know talk to you anymore. Um, but, so, I'll do my best. Here we go. Um, let me tell you a story. Uh, there was this guy, uh, attractive, very attractive man. Uh, fictitious story, by the way. Uh, but let's call him Andy, since it's a fictitious story. <laughs> um, and uh, this guy, he was, he was taking his dog out. And uh, it was raining outside, very muddy, and uh, dog does what dog does, and uh, then they come back inside, uh, takes the dog off the leash and puts the leash away, and he looks on the ground and he sees this little brown mud spot on the ground and goes, ah, dog tracked in mud, okay. Goes and grabs the little rag that you clean up the ground with and you go, wipes it up. He turns around to go put the rag away, and, and he sees another mud spot. And he goes, yes, dog's tracked in mud everywhere. Wipes the spot, wipes another spot, and notices the more and more that he moves around to wipe up spots. It's like the, he didn't see the spot before, and then now it's there. And it's just, what is going on? And hopefully you're going like, I just want to tell you what's going on. But we're just going to leave the story right there. The Gospel of Mark is very much the same way. It just kind of leaves you hanging at the end. Um, we, we won't get to that part, but I just want to have that kind of resonating in your mind as you read through the Gospel. Uh, we're going to start in the first 15 verses, so... Um, keep forgetting that's there. Um, We're going to start in the first 15 verses, chapter 1, verses 1 through 15, and we're just going to walk through it, and then I'm going to reflect on it a little bit, and um, that's that's where we'll be. So it starts off like any good book starts. It starts in the beginning, and it says this. It says, the beginning of God, or the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And this is one of those phrases that, um, it's one of those things that you know, 
but the people that are in the story, they don't, they don't know. This is, this is something that they don't know. But you know this. It's like when you're watching like the scary movie and you can see, because the footage is showing you, that the guy with the hatchets behind the door, right? You know that. But the, the person in the film, they don't know. And they're like, they open the door and you're going, don't go in the room, don't go in the room, don't go in the room. Because you know something that they don't know. That's this. That's this title line. It's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that's a really, like, man, I was actually contemplated just talking today about the one verse. Um, but then I realized if I just kept doing that, because that's, that is my tendency, that, that we would, I would be in Mark for 20 years or something. Uh, so we won't do that. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and just grab a couple of key, key thoughts or insights that, that we need to know and take away from it. So it's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's, that's the part that, that we know, right? It's, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when, when they think of this gospel, because this, this passage that comes right after this, it's also talking about this good news or this gospel. Uh, that's what that means. Um, but it's the, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So verse 2, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I am sending a messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And uh, so what, what a prophet is, just so that we're all on the same page, a, a prophet is one who God has called out to see. They, before they were called a prophet, they were called seers. And they saw things differently. They saw all the same events as you, but the way that they saw it, they saw what God was doing. They saw the way that he was working. So this is actually um, a, a mashup. Mashups are popular on YouTube. This is actually a original mashup. He's taken uh, a verse from Malachi and a verse from Isaiah and, and putting them together because they carry a, a common theme. And it's this theme of this good news happening. So what did they understand this good news to be? Simply, the good news is that God was coming back to the land. So this is the people of Israel. I've got a map. Can we show the map? I have a map. This is awesome. I love maps. Sorry. Um, so this is the land of Israel. And uh, there was a point at Israel's history. Uh, you may also hear me call this the promised land. And, and it's not like a title for the land. Uh, it's simply the land that God promised. It's the promised land. Um, so they, this is the land. And they were, they were in a relationship with the creator of the universe, God. And part of the agreement was that they would live in relationship with him. And as that relationship broke down, one of the consequences was they were ejected from the land. But what, Because it's the gospel, it's the climax of a very long story. And so I, I'm... I feel the pressure to share all the pieces of the story that I think are so exciting. Uh, so I'm try I have a conflict in my mind. Um, but the, I'll tell you this. 
there was a point at which, know this, when the people got ejected from the land, God didn't kick them out because he didn't want to be with them. God has always wanted to be with his people. That has always been the case, and that will always be the case. When they got kicked out of the land, there's a prophet named Ezekiel. He shows us in his story that God went with them. He left too. And that's really critical for us to know because that's the promise of the gospel is that God would come back. He would come back to the land. And so that's their hope. That's their anticipation is that they can live in right relationship with God once again in their land. This is the good news that the people in the story understand. And in essence, it it is the gospel. So the interesting thing that this verse 2 and verse 3 also does is, is it ties together this idea of the gospel as it talks about the gospel, but then it also ties in what's about to happen where John enters in. Uh, it's a man named John who's actually going to be the one proclaiming, the one that this, uh, these verses are talking about is the voice that is proclaiming. But what he's proclaiming, what this good news looks like when he says, prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. That's real, like really real, like close your eyes and imagine that real. It's preparing a way, a road. The verse continues, the way that the road's prepared is the mountains are crushed down and the valleys are filled in to make a road. And it's the road where God comes back into the land. And it's this big procession. It's this big deal. And so then, verse 4, John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all of the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan and confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached. He preached, saying, After me comes one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so what's happening, what you see here, um, if we'll go back to the, uh, to the map, what you see here is all of Jerusalem and all of Judea come out to the River Jordan. Okay? So this road is being made. And all of Jerusalem and all of Judea go out to the Jordan. Well, what's important about that is is that's the entrance to the land. That's where they came into the land to begin with. And so what's happening is John believes that there should be a renewal of the people, and so he begins to baptize them. And what this baptism was for them was a cleansing ceremony where they go into the water, and when they come up, they are now cleansed from sin, allowing them 
to remove one of the barriers that is between them and God so that they can be back in right relationship with him again. This is their strategy. John and the people, they all come out to the entrance of the land and they expect God to come and join with them as they go into the land. And why this is important for them is they are an occupied land. They've been overturned by uh, the Roman government at the time. And they were the occupying force. And so this was an oppressed people. And that's probably something really important for us to remember any time that we open the scriptures. Is that these aren't the words of some powerful, forceful power of the day. These are the words of people who know hurt and pain and have been slaves. And so John and the people, they come, and they come to one place. And I think the the picture is powerful that all of Jerusalem and all of Judea come, and they're waiting in anticipation, and they confess their sins, and their strategy is good. And in those days, in verse 9, Jesus comes from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open, torn open. And the Spirit descends on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. I just think it's awesome that Jesus didn't do anything yet. He hasn't saved anybody from their sins. He hasn't preached. He hasn't healed. He hasn't raised the dead. He hasn't died. He hasn't been raised the dead himself. And his heavenly father loves him. Loves him for no reason at all. My only conclusion can be that God is love and is forced to do nothing but love. So you have all of Jerusalem and all of Judea coming to the entrance to the land and they're waiting in anticipation for God to show up so that they can re-enter the land with power, have right relationship with God, take back over their land and start this new kingdom over again. And then something really strange happens. As Jesus comes up out of the water, as he comes up, the Spirit comes down. And the same Spirit that created the world, that animating force, that animating force that was breathed into humanity from the beginning of the story, that animating force that has empowered all those that have come before, all the pages to the left in your Bible, That is now rested on Jesus. And then this happens. Verse 12. The Spirit immediately drove him out, 
into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with wild animals. And the angels were ministering to him. So that's why I keep repeating this. Just look at it. Map again, sorry. <laughs> look at it. Just look for a second. All of Jerusalem and all of Judea go to the entrance to the land. It'd be like, here's the room. Okay, everybody, leave. Go out to the, where you came in. Just go there. Everybody, stand there at the entrance to the room. That's where we're all going to be. We're going to hang out, and we're going to wait for God. God's going to come. He's going to show up, and they're all going to come back in. It's going to be awesome. And so then what happens? We're all standing there, and we're at the entrance to the building, right? And then here comes Jesus, and he shows up, and everybody's like, all right, this is awesome. This is great. All right, let's go back inside. And then Jesus goes out that way. What is going on? And what is going on is, is that Jesus knows that this is not the right strategy. Just doing this thing that they see right in front of them, here's the problem. Here's the problem. Rome's the problem. The sin, the thing that I just keep doing over and over again, it's the behavior. That's the problem. And I think that we see it over and over again. I think that we, we, we understand that naturally, that behavior modification isn't going to fix things that are happening in the world. We've seen that. The world's trying that right now. From the time of the Great Enlightenment, people have said, you know what? We've been, we've been a Christian nation for a while here in America, in Europe. Like the, the gospel has done powerful things in our world but the whole God side of it, that's just a little bothersome. So let's just do all the good behavior stuff, and then we'll just move on with it. And that strategy just doesn't work. It doesn't work. The 1900s that we just came out of, when that strategy was taking place, one of the bloodiest hundred years It just doesn't work, and Jesus knows that. And so he needs to do something that we cannot do. And so all of Jerusalem, all, in, all of Judea go to the entrance to the land, and Jesus goes further than they ever can. He goes out into the wilderness. He goes to the east. He takes a right. And why he does that is, is he's playing the story up to this point, he's playing it in reverse. They came from over here, and they go up, and they go across the Jordan and occupy the land. And Jesus is going backwards, because there are things that have happened that need to be rectified that are further back, that are deeper into their culture than they ever know. And back deeper into humanity. And so what did he do? He goes out into the wilderness and he does battle. Other gospels tell us what happens. That's not Mark's point. The thing that you need to know from Mark's point of view is that he does battle and he's the one that comes out. And Jesus does battle and he's the one that is victorious. And he goes and he does battle with that dark, 
dark force that has been plaguing humanity from the beginning. In the Revelation, it says that it's that serpent of old, referring to, in the garden, that original temptation. Because that's really the problem. And what we see here in this introduction to this whole gospel of Mark is we see the whole gospel of Mark crushed down into a small little piece. This time in the wilderness just lays right on top of the cross. Where Jesus goes to the cross and he does battle. And when he dies, he's dying for us, for that dark force to do its worst. Because that's a thing that we just can't handle ourselves. And he knows it. And because this God is love, this God's going to do that thing. He's going to step up and do that thing that we can't do. So the Spirit drives him into the wilderness. And and here's one of the things that I, I think I take away from this is that... <clears throat> Jesus exits the promised land so that we may all enter into the kingdom. So then what happens? In verse 14, now after John is arrested, Jesus goes into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. And this is what it is. This is what he says. The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The time that they were waiting for, the time that they wanted, the reason that they came out to the entrance to the land to begin with was they, they thought the time was fulfilled. They thought that it was ready. Maybe I can try and articulate this in a, in a, a little bit easier way because I, when we hear repent and believe, if you grew up in church or you've been around church people for long, uh, it's got an overly churchy kind of thing, and it's one of those words that that maybe we think we probably have a good grasp on it. But if somebody pressed us on it, we would kind of have something to say, but kind of be shaky on it at the same time. So this phrase is actually used somewhere else, and that somewhere else isn't even in the Bible. Um, but I thought we could point it out. There was a man named Josephus, and he was a historian about the generation after Jesus. And uh, after Jesus dies on the cross, is resurrected and ascends into heaven, the, um, the Israelite forces decide that they're going to do this anyway, the strategy. 
that they still want to come back into the land and kick out Rome. They think that their strategy is still good. And um, so here's what happens. You kind of have two parties. You have Josephus's party, and Josephus is thinking, okay, here's what we should do. We should use diplomacy. We're causing some ruckus. The Roman government is, is starting to oppress us even harder. We should just talk with them, try and work things out. And then there's this other man. He's a general. Uh, his name happens to be Jesus, but it's not the same Jesus. Maybe I'll call him General Jesus so that we don't get confused. Uh, so General Jesus, he has a different strategy. You probably can guess what it is, being that he's a general. It's let's do battle. It's not let's do battle. Let's not do battle against that dark force, that thing that we can't possibly attack. It's let's do battle against those other people, the people that are hurting us. Let's just kill them. And Josephus disagrees. He thinks this is a bad idea. Well, that tends to be a problem when you want to go to war and the other side saying no. So here's, here's what happens. The general, he decides, let me just kill my opponent. And then problem solved. Now there's nobody speaking out saying, hey, let's, let's find another way. Let's do something different. Now I'm freed up to go ahead and let's just go do battle. Well, Josephus catches wind. He hears about this, and bravely, he goes to the general at night. And uh, if you're interested, this is in the, the, the life of Josephus in uh, verse 110, um, where this takes place. And he, so he goes to the general, and he says, hey, guess what? I heard about what you wanted to do. How you wanted to kill me. I think it's a bad idea. Let's not do that. Let's let me live. But he's so bold that here's what he says. He says, I will forgive you, but you must repent and believe in me. And I think that that's interesting because we don't think that that's something that we could say to someone else. But I think it clues us in on something that's going on. Repentance is a turning from your ways, from your strategy, from your ideas. And this belief is, the, is a trust. This belief what he's saying is, your idea is bad. It will not work. So stop doing it and do my strategy. Go this way. This way works. And so when we hear that on the lips of Jesus, let's look at this again. The time is fulfilled. Now that Jesus has gone and done battle against that dark force, the time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. It is now time for God to rule. But not rule in the way that you think. We're not going back into the land to do battle against other human beings. 
What I need you to do is stop your strategy because your strategy sucks. And I need you to turn and trust me and trust my strategy. He's saying what we were all saying. The mud's on the bottom of your shoe, dude. Stop walking around the house trying to wipe up the little messes because it's you. It's on the bottom of your shoe, man. Jesus is that nice voice that would put his arm around Andy and say, Hey, man, stop trying to fix all the messes. There's just a consequence of this thing that's on you. This thing that's on you. And for us, that thing is in our heart, the Bible says. There's this darkness here. The way that it tells the story at the beginning of the Bible is, is that there are these two trees, these two opportunities. One is knowledge for good and evil. And what we know up until the point of that story so far is that God has created everything, and everything that he created was good. And when we seized the tree, it's this picture of us deciding to define good and evil for ourselves. Picking our own strategy, our own way to live life because we think that we know better. But the problem is not what we see. And so our strategy sucks because we can't possibly attack when we cannot see what we're fighting against. I I don't know what that is for you. There have been times in my life when my strategy was to be an awesome husband, to be a really great boss. That's how I was going to fix things. That's how I was going to find fulfillment in my life. And it just doesn't ever work out. You get it for a little bit. It works for a little bit. You feel good for a little bit. You feel fulfilled for a little bit. But it just doesn't last. Maybe it's school. Maybe it's to be a really great student. Maybe that's the strategy. Maybe my parents will be proud of me if I just get the killer grades. If I just get into that next tier of school, then people will respect me. Maybe it's fashion. Maybe I just want to wear the right things so that people will love me and I can go and I can do whatever it is that I'm supposed to do with my life to be fulfilled if I just look right doing it. Maybe it's behavior modification. Maybe we keep coming to this idea that 
Every Sunday we come and we hear some new way to be better, to be a little bit more like Jesus. And not that those things are bad. But if that's the start of the strategy, it's just behavior modification. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't change anything. What changes things is Jesus changing us on the inside. And so we have to trust him for that. And so as we continue through Mark, Jesus is going to be able to unpack for us what this looks like. But I think honestly today, we should just stop there. Because how easy is it to go, okay, yep, just trust Jesus. Okay, now what do I do? Okay, I trust you. Now what? Maybe we just need to rest and stop and really trust. What if you took all day today to just wrestle with this idea of finding all of your identity in Jesus? Putting all of your strategy for how life is going to work out and you just put it all on Jesus. Just trust him for it. And when stuff starts to creep up all day today, oh, maybe I should do this. Oh, you know what? I was thinking about what Andy said at church, and I really think I should change this or I should change that. And Maybe just pause for a second today. Maybe not write those things down. If God wants those things out of you, he'll remind you again. But just... Stop. And just trust that his strategy, his way of doing it, about battling against something that is dark inside of all of us, is the right strategy. Because that's really the solution of the cross. That's really the solution of Jesus coming and dying. Is that it was a thing that we never could do ourselves. We just never could do it ourselves. It took someone who could see clearly. It took an act of divine intervention. It took God himself coming to live a life that we just couldn't live. So as I begin to close... you didn't hear anything that I said. Hear that God loves you and he loves you so much. He loves you so much that he came and took on the shape of a man. And he did battle against things that we could never do battle against. And he died. But death could not hold him. Because when you create, when your very essence 
is an artist and you create and you constantly are giving birth and giving new life, death just cannot hold you back. So as we prepare our hearts and our minds for the table to come and take the bread and to dip it in the juice that we remember that the, the bread is Jesus' body which was broken for us and the juice is his blood that was spilled out on our behalf that his life and essence were drained for us But just like a seed planted in the ground as Jesus was planted in the grave, it brought forth new life. A life that we can take part in. A life that we can live. And that's the beautiful thing about what the baptism is, is that it's this picture of us dying with Jesus and being raised to walk in a new life. The new life is not yours. The new life is not yours. The new life is Jesus' life that you now get to walk in. Walking in his life and in his strategy. And so, when you are ready, will you come to the table? Musicians, if you want to come up and begin to pray and play. Um. If Jesus is speaking to your heart in a way that he may never have spoken before, not because of my words, as I'm very aware how feebly I have presented such good news, but maybe the Spirit has creeped in and you're thinking, okay, Maybe I, can, maybe I can think about possibly walking with this Jesus, but, but I've got some issues. <laughs> yep. We all have issues. I have issues. The things that we do, our strategies, our ways that we are defining the ways that we are defining good even though it may be evil they don't hold us back from coming to the table what allows us to come to the table is trusting Jesus deciding that we can walk with him as he helps us figure out what life looks like as we begin to trust him So I only say that because I I, I know those of you that follow Jesus, you will come to the table. But if you're thinking that the table's not for you, I just want you to hear that if you can trust Jesus and his death and his resurrection, you may not be able to change or redirect yourself instantly. 
But if that's what you're thinking, then, then hear it again, that that strategy, that behavior change isn't the point. It's the trust. It's trusting in Jesus. So stand and let's sing. And just begin to deal. Begin to deal with the Holy Spirit and what he's talking to you about. And as you're ready, come to the table. It's open.